Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. All right. Well, what a wonderful week it has been, man. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, We have Vacation Bible School, and if Logan Birdsong and her team are here, they did her video, excellent job. And that's just an image, uh, a a video to kind of paint a picture of the greatness. I've been to Vacation Bible School for over 25 years, and arguably, it was the best Vacation Bible School I've ever been a part of. Uh, Everything about it was amazing. And it all landed on a gospel night. And we had probably 25 little boys and girls from, uh, from first grade to high school who raised their hand uh, to receive Jesus. And so some of them are already going through their discipleship book. Uh, everything about, every team, every volunteer was off the chain. Uh, we had about, uh, about 100 kids and we had about 70 workers. That's a really good ratio for Bible school. And, and it was awesome, and we finished it up with our uh, celebration night on Thursday, and it was like, I call it a hallmark moment. It was just like families hanging out with their kids, enjoying life together in Jesus. It's just clean and pure and right and good, and, and Gene brought his, what I call the, uh, the uh, hot tub time machine. That is a trailer pulled behind a zero-turn mower full of water and kids. And somebody asked, hey, where did that water come from? I said, uh, most of it came from the city tap. The other came from the little boys who were riding in the, tr- in the cart. All the girls, I got to go to the bathroom. No boys asked to go to the bathroom. You put two and two together. It was a good, warm hot tub. Now, it's been a gr- vacation Bible school, amazing. Okay, that makes for a good week. Makes me excited to get up here and preach. Uh, but also, getting to baptize anybody is a celebration for me because somebody's following Jesus and they're taking the next step. That's a win in, in God's forever uh, uh, economy. And when it's your grandson, that just, that's pretty awesome. But I got to tell you something, because sometimes when a little boy or a little girl gets, uh, makes a profession of faith and they follow Jesus in baptism, adults kind of want to question, well, do they really understand? That's what adults do. I don't know they really understand. You know why adults say that? Because they're ignorant of Scripture. Scripture says, unless you have the faith of a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those are harsh words. Those came from Jesus. You can talk to him about it when you get to heaven. He said, unless you get it like a kid gets it, you don't get in. And so we can learn from these moments. So you say, well, does he get it? Because quite honestly, you know, today we'll have a party at our house celebrating Judson's decision to follow Jesus in baptism and and, and asking him into his heart. But today, he's seven years old. He'll probably holler at his sister. He's liable to steal my watch. But none of that matters when you get the greater thing right. When you get Jesus right, God will work out the rest of that stuff. Some of y'all are watch stealers and you're grown people. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all holler at people and you're grown people. He'll get that. So does he get it? And so we had Judson and Juliana the other day. And as good grandparents, we wanted to take them out for a nice meal. So we took them to Waffle House. Now, at Waffle House, Judson had a little ball. And he jumped up in the booth. And there was an old man behind us and his wife. And he just took that ball and just gave him a little tap. And the old man turned around and he said, hey, did you hit me? He said, sorry. He said, did you know Jesus died on a cross for your sins? And the man said, yeah, I did. He said, have you asked him in your heart? He said, 
That's a better question for my wife. She's a good Baptist, which means no to him. You know what I'm saying? He ain't got it figured out yet. Okay, he better hurry because he's old. So, so he said, I did too, and I'm getting baptized. And, and we're like, and our waitress came over and she said, did he just ask them if they had asked Jesus in their heart? We're like, yeah, he's with us. Now, when he threw the hash browns, he was with somebody else. But in that moment, he was with us. So we left from there, and so we wanted to have a good time with our kids, our grandkids. So we took them somewhere else exciting, Sam's Club. And at Sam's Club, we're getting out of the car, and there's another old man getting in his car. And he's, we're talking, and Judson said, hey. And he said, yeah, buddy. He said, did you know Jesus died on a cross for your sins? And he said, yeah, I did. He said, have you asked him into your heart? And he said, yes, I have. And then he looked at me. He says, that boy's been to Sunday school. <laughs> now, now, here's the deal. I'm convicted and embarrassed by how a seven-year-old out-evangelizes me, and I'm a preacher of the gospel. Zero inhibitions. Zero care who they are, where they come from, what their story is. Jesus is in his heart, and he, Jesus wants to get out. Adults, Jesus, if he's in your heart, he needs to get out. Good, good stuff. So it's a good week, amen? And then, as if that's not enough, in, on a larger scale, in our amazing country, the United States of America, they overturned Roe v. Wade's. What, Wade, which is a victory for babies that now they get to choose whether or not they want to enjoy this life. It's like a trifecta. And so let's just celebrate God for being so good, Amen. Now, why is it that God would let me uh, have a week like that experiencing this trifecta of goodness? Uh, because James chapter 5 is a hard subject. <laughs> We're talking about money today, okay? So I had to lighten that up to get you all ready. And as soon as I said money, countenance changed in here. I could, I could feel it, okay? I could feel it. Now, that's what we're going to talk about because James talks about it. If you go here for very long, if you've been here for a while, I don't talk about money unless it comes up in Scripture. We do, uh, I, I preach through books in the Bible, and when we get to money, we talk about money. Let me tell you something. If you have a problem with a preacher talking about money from Scripture, if you have a problem with anybody talking about money regarding Scripture, you got a problem with God. God talks about it. Most of the authors inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those books, most of those authors were given instruction to speak about money. Why? Because God knows if he has our money, he has a better chance of getting our heart. And so James is going to dive into that. It's not his first time. James is not afraid of it. If James is not afraid of it, Joel ain't afraid of it. And I hope you're not afraid of it. And so the title of the message on the back of your life guide today is simply this, Passing the Money Test. Now, James, since the beginning, has been giving us test after test. How do you deal with troubles? Do you find joy? How do you deal with temptations? Are you finding victory? Uh, how do you deal with others who are in need? Do you help them out? Uh, how do you uh, control your tongue? Do you control your tongue? Does your tongue control you? It's just test after test. And now... As if it's not been difficult enough last week, how our godless plans, he kind of blistered that one. He doesn't let up. It's, it's the nature of James in this book that we call Faith That Works. And so he's going to talk about our money, our finances. Now I'm going to read six verses, okay, and then we're going to talk about it. So verse 1, he says, come now you rich, weep and cry aloud over the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches have rotted, your clothing has become moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have hoarded treasure. Look, 
the pay you've held back from the workers who mowed your fields cries out against you. And it cries, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have lived indulgently and luxuriously on the earth. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, although he does not resist you. Wow. You see why we needed a trifecta week? You see why God let me baptize my grandson? You see why I got to experience the victories of this week? Because now we get to talk about this. And that's hard. That's heavy stuff. James does not tiptoe around truth. James does not drop it on us real light and, 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 and kind of confusing. Well, I don't, I don't really know what he's saying. We know what he's saying. And we're going to unpack it today. And we're all going to learn something today. If we're going to learn something today, say, I am. And those that didn't say it, you're going to learn it too. You may not like it, but you're going to learn it. So here's what he begins. He says, come now, you rich. We have to uncover who he's talking about. He's speaking to the early church, and the Holy Spirit is, is giving it. You see, God's Word is not an old book. It's, a, it's an eternal book. And so he's writing it 2,000 years ago for 2,000 years later to you and to me on this very day. And so he says, he says you rich people. Now, some people right now, they're like, great. He's probably getting ready to take up an offering. It's a money sermon. He's going to get those Kentucky Fried offering buckets from the drive-in. I don't do that. You see, it's funny here at the church. I don't have to do that. You see, we have boxes securely mounted on the wall out there. People give offering. We can give securely online. And, and, it, and it is because of faithful givers that we have Vacation Bible School. It's because of faithful givers that we can sit in this amazing uh, worship center in air conditioning. And I'll be very candid. I am so proud of about 20% of you all. You say, what does that mean? About 20% of you all pay 80% of the bills. Did you know that? Statistically, in the church, less than 20% nationally, in our church, about 20% of the people who attend give faithfully, uh, biblically, 10%. A tithe is 10%. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's not something you fabricate. Tithe means 10%. And, and, and you give 10% of your income to, to the church. And we do ministry because ministry costs money. So I'm proud, 20, we're 20%, we're better than the national average, okay? But God is going to today, today speak to us through James to all of us, no matter where we are, whether we give or whether we don't give, no matter how much we think we have or how much we think everybody else has, God is going to speak to all of us. And so <clears throat> James is going to help us, and he says, you rich people. Now, this is where it gets odd. It's a little weird right here. He says, you rich, he didn't say you richer people, he just said you rich people, you rich people. Now, we all know rich people. Everybody knows some rich people. Everybody know a rich person? Just kind of shake your head a little bit. Yeah, we all know a rich person. And I'm going to tell you today who you're thinking about when I said that. I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes. Uh, so I looked up some synonyms, and this is what we think of a rich person. These are synonyms. You bougie, blinging, deep-pocketed fat cat. You come rolling up into the church on Sunday, loaded and living large. Now, those are all synonyms for wealth, all right, for the accumulation of goods. And we know those bougie, blinging, fat-catted people, right? Amen, we know them. Now, I'm going to tell you who you thought of when I said that. Are you ready? You ready? Some of y'all puckered up. Some of y'all cannot stand who I'm. I'm going to say, here it is. You ready? You want to know who it is, who you thought of? Somebody else. That's it. Oh, you thought I was going to name names, huh? I don't have that much time, and my truck is not running for a quick getaway. I'm not doing that. It's somebody else. Everybody in here thought of somebody else. You know Why? Because we always compare ourselves up the food chain. You see, we want to say Elon Musk. We want to say Jeff Bezos. 
Those guys are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. No doubt fat cats, right? No doubt wealthy, living large, no doubt. So we want to say compared to them, I'm not your rich guy, James. Thanks for writing us that letter. I'll try to send a memo to Jeff Bezos, okay, to Elon Musk. He needs, to, he needs James chapter 5, 1 through 6. No, that's not what James says. James says, you rich people. And we're going to unpack who rich people are. See, because see, what we do is we look at people's lives, and here's what we say. You ready? We say, they're rich. How do I know they're rich? You seen their car? Have you seen their boat? In the early service, we had a nice truck pulling a nice boat. They'll probably never come back. Have you seen their boat? you seen their house? Have you seen where they vacation? Have you seen where their kids go to school? Have you seen, have you seen always somebody else? Are you ready? Are you ready? Meanwhile, we say, I'm not rich. In fact, in my car, the check engine light's been on for two years. That makes me not rich. In fact, I'm not rich because when I wash my car with the check engine light on, I have to put my thumb over the end of the hose. I don't even have a nozzle. Anybody have to wash your car with just a hose and a thumb? Okay. We got a whole list of reasons that we're not rich. All right. The list goes on and on and on. You know, when I start up my vacuum cleaner, the belt burns. Sounds like the house is going to burn down. This is the reason why we're not rich. But on a global scale, if you own a car, you don't even have to run. You're rich. On a global scale, if you have water that access to water to run through a hose, you're rich. On a global scale, everything you own, I'll give you a good one. I know I'm not rich. I buy my shirts at Bargain Hunt on the sale rack. On the global scale, if you can buy a shirt anywhere, you're rich. So I want you to know something right now. You ready? Every single one of you, fat cats, welcome to the club. Every single one of us are rich in somebody's eyes. You are somebody's bougie, blinging, fat catted, rolling in here, living large. You're somebody's that. In fact, look at the person next to you and just say, wow. And now ask them, will you buy my lunch? Because they got it. Everybody look up here. That person beside, they got it. They have got it. Okay, now here's the thing about that. We, 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 we don't like to think about that. It's real. It's real. You on the global scale, every single one of us, every single one of us are wealthy, rich, materially blessed. And so James is talking to us. It's not somebody else. It, he's talking to us because he didn't say richer people, he said rich people. And so now James is going to tell us a, a little bit more about the problem is not our wealth. I want you to understand something. God is not against wealth. God is not against material possessions. God is not against a 401k. God is not against an inheritance. God is not against a boat. God is not against a car. God is not against a house. God is not against any of that stuff. They are all creations of God. God is adamantly opposed and against to us overvaluing the material side, the created rather than the creator. In fact, if you read Romans, the problem is that most people begin to worship the created rather than the creator. And that's the problem that James is going to speak into today. 
I shared this a couple of weeks ago when James talked about money, that there are 22 million millionaires in America. 22 million, that's a lot. And we think, wow, they're millionaires. But if you ask a millionaire, are you? You're a millionaire? You know what they say? Well, I am, but you know, a million don't go as far as it used to. You know, inflation and everything. You know, that's the way they look at it. And, and so not only in America, there's 650 billionaires. That's a lot. Billionaires. And if you ask a billionaire how much money is enough, the number one common answer statistically of a billionaire, how much is enough, is this. I'll tell you when I get it. Because they can't find it. They can't, it's in, it, becomes, it becomes insatiable. They can't seem to get to that place. Forbes magazine will tell us this, will tell you this, me this, about our riches, our wealth, that even in America, if you're in the lowest 5% of income level, in America, you are in the you are you make more money than the top five percent in all of India. That's pretty staggering. What about this one? If you are in the United States of America and you're considered poor, below the poor threshold, you are still more wealthy than seventy percent of the human beings on the planet. Not only that, did you know? that the average family median income in the world, the average family median income in the world is $2,000 a year. In America, the average family annual income is $63,000. Now, you say, what does that mean? It means this. Imagine 2022. You make 30 times more than you made in 2021. That's a nice raise, amen. 30 times more. Oh, you would be living large, right? That's how the rest of the world sees you. 30 times more wealthy than they understand. James is touching base right here, right now in my life and in your life. And he wants to tell us, he just wants to help us understand God is not against it, but God is for you. God doesn't care what you have. God cares that he has you. Deuteronomy 8.18 makes it very clear. He says, but, but you need to remember that the Lord your God, it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, with, which he swore to your fathers. Now, often in our world, we kind of forget where it all comes from. And so, James wants to remind us that everything is God's and we just need to have, have the right attitude about our possessions. So we know the audience is you. We know the audience is, is me. If you agree on the world scale, you would be considered rich folk. Say, okay, it's true. You don't even have to admit it, it's true. It's factual, okay? So what do we do with that? James is gonna give us three simple steps so we can pass the money test. Three, simple test. Now, the first one on the back of your life guide is this word, repent. And if I extend that, it's repent of a divided heart. You see, the problem is not our possessions. The problem is that we're divided on what we love most on which day. So listen how James says. He says, okay, you want to pass the money test? This is, this is how you do it, okay? Weep and cry aloud over the miseries that are coming upon you. That's friendly. He says, your riches have rotted, your clothing has become moth-eaten, your gold and silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like 
fire. Now, this isn't the first time James has told us to repent. In James chapter 4, he tells us to grieve and mourn and weep and turn our laughter into mourning. But that was about our general sin, that sin is no laughing matter. Now, James is saying we need to weep and mourn and cry aloud because we are not handling God's wealth well. We have not been good stewards. And so what we need is a revival. You see, when we have a fresh encounter with the true and living, loving God, all of a sudden, every material possession we can possibly imagine erodes away into oblivion before the glory of his greatness. And you know, this church needs a fresh encounter with the glory of that God. Because when we have a fresh encounter with that God, this whole world just changes. Our, the lens we look through just changed. All of a sudden, we're not looking at me, myself, and I, and looking at our stuff and how we can accumulate more. We see how God sees that there's a whole world out there that if Jesus comes today, they're not going to be on the bus. They're not going to be in the rapture. You see, the Bible says, wide is the road to destruction, and many there are on it. Narrow is the way unto life, and few there are that find it. You know what that means? In your circle, in your neighborhood, at your work, maybe even in your family, there are more people who have not entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, his son, than there are that have. More lost people than there are saved people. And God says only when we have a revival, only when we have a fresh encounter with God will we see things like God sees things. Meanwhile, what we do is we put a whole lot of trust and faith in our material possessions. I remember when I was a younger man, I never paid attention to my 401k. I just didn't, I didn't have time for it. And I wasn't planning on retiring anytime soon. So, you know, if you, if you know anything about finance and investment, time's your friend. <laughs> it's getting less and less my friend. I'm 59. In fact, I'm going to say that a lot because I have one more month of 59. Then I enter the big 60. So I'm 59. 59, 59, 59. I'm just going to say it a lot. Okay? 59. Now, now that I'm 59, I start thinking about retirement, right? I start thinking. So I look at my 401k. And man, 2021, I liked looking at it. It looked good. It's growing. Jeremy handles it for me. Jeremy's, Jeremy's my friend. 2022, I'm not so sure he's my friend. <laughs> things are changing, right? It's coming down. But you know what? When you have a fresh encounter with the true and living God, a 401k doesn't matter. I am in the hands of an almighty God. There's nothing in, in the stock market that he didn't know about. No surprises in heaven. And I'm still his child. So I don't have to worry about it. I, I'm supposed to be a good steward. I'm supposed to be wise. I'm supposed to be prayerful. I'm supposed to be diligent about doing right with what God has sent me. I don't have to worry about it. Because I don't, my security is not found in my wealth. But it is to some people. In Proverbs 18, 11, it says, The wealth of the rich 
is, is their fortified city. It's their walled up protective city. It says, and they imagine that it is an unscalable wall. Man, I've got these resources. Nothing can get me now. Never say that. Never say that. The only reason we have anything is because God has allowed it. And he's not against our wealth. He's not against our possessions. He is only concerned about our attitude of gratitude toward him regarding our possessions. And so I want to be clear about it. I said earlier, I'm proud of 20% of you because y'all are good givers, right? And, and just for the record, I'm not on commission. When the offering goes up, I don't get a raise, okay? I had somebody ask me that one time. Do you make more money the more church brings in? I don't, but if you want to start that, I'm in, Okay? No, I don't do that. I'm, I'm not on commission. But you know what I am? I am a product of good parents who taught me about stewardship, the discipline of stewardship. I shared this year. This is my mother right here, my mother-in-law. And they're stewards. They love Jesus. And they love me most of the time. They love Kendra all the time. Love our grandkids all the time. And when I was growing up, I was taught stewardship. We had paper routes, my older brother and I. We had to tithe on paper route money. Because my mom and dad says, whatever you brought in this week, if it's $3, put 30 cents in the offering plate. Because somebody taught them what the Bible says about giving. So I want you to know today, um, just because people have wealth does not mean they lose their relationship with God. In this very place, some of the people who have more wealth than average are the greatest contributors, the greatest uh, blessing to me the greatest encouragers to me. And, and I look at them and I say, they have it because they're trying to be good stewards. Their attitude is right. And I'm telling you, the door is open for God to bless you. God wants to bless us all at different levels, sure. But he wants to bless our wealth. But we have to be careful how we manage it and how we look at it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's why we have to have a fresh encounter on a regular basis with our true and living God because our tendency is to chase the wrong thing. We find ourselves chasing a large 401k accumulation we find ourselves chasing the things that the world tells us we need, bigger boats and bigger cars and bigger homes and more of them. We begin to chase that rather than chasing God who created them all. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, tells us that we will never be satisfied if we chase money rather than chasing God. That we will never be satisfied chasing the created order rather than the creator of all order. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That's pretty simple. He says, nor he who loves wealth will ever be satisfied with his income. He says, this is vanity. So now watch what we do. In, in, in Western civilization and in America, what we do is we just seem to go with the flow. Whatever the world says we need to pay for something, we just do it. We make a way for it to happen. Did you know the average home in America, the average price of a home in America is $329,000 today. That's a 2022 stat. Kendra and I built our first home in about 1985, and I borrowed $60,000, 2,200 square foot house. 
we just keep, okay, that's what, it, that's what we're supposed to pay for it. Okay, I'm in. And we have to have a home. It's, it's nothing wrong with having a home. And so today, the average person pays $60,000 for a pickup. My first car was $950. Today, the average person spends $7,500 on vacations. Kendra and I, young family, we used to spend about $750 on vacation. A person now will spend $100 on a nice meal for two in a nice restaurant. Kendra and I got married. You know what we were excited about? Friday nights, Shoney's Seafood Buffet. It was legit. Straight to the heart. Shut you down. But it was legit. $16. And then on Sunday, if, it was, if we were really living large, we'd go with friends after church. Ryan's. Anybody go to Ryan's? Yeast roll about the size of a basketball. Straight to the cardiovascular system. Amazing. Okay, amazing. $16. You see, whatever, however the world says, wherever we need to meet them, we're in. You don't believe me? Pull into Weigel's on the way home, fill up your tank. You probably pay about $4.69 a gallon. When I was a kid, I had a Honda 50 Mini Trail. Put gas in it from a Clorox jug, 30 cents a gallon. And if next week we complain and moan, next week if it goes to $7, you know what you and I are going to do? We're going to pull in there and stick that nozzle in there and squeeze the handle and stick our card in there because we got to have it. We've created a material monster. And God says, listen, there's no surprises up here. I hold it all in the palm of my hands. If you get me right in your life, you don't have to worry about the escalating cost of living in your world. So the new American dream is simple. Borrow money from people we don't know to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Welcome to America. And you know it's true. I mean, you can, you can borrow 84 months on a vehicle. You know that, right? Let me tell you something. Vehicle won't last 84 months. It's the same payment when you drive it off the lot as it is when the check engine light on is in the dashboard and every time you start it, a puff of smoke comes out the back, the seats smell like french fries, and the tires have metal showing through. Same payment, okay? They made it easy for us to live large and we have bought it and there's nothing wrong with any of those things as long as our attitude of gratitude is in check with God. In America... Today, there's more millionaires and billionaires than in the history of the world. Eight, and yet, 8% of America struggles with depression as we enjoy the fruits of prosperity in our country because we've become self-sufficient. We, we, don't, we don't need God anymore. It, it seems like once the more self-sufficient we become, the less we need God and the less we need His church. As things come into our life, all of a sudden, they get brighter and bolder and bigger. And meanwhile, the church becomes less significant. I want you to hear me. There is not one material possession that God chose to change the world through other than the Lord's church. The church is the one thing that God set apart as the bride of Jesus, his son, to be used to shine a light in a dark world. One reason that I give to the church and one reason I love the church is because I am a product of the local church. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I had a drug problem growing up. I don't run from it. 
My mom drug me down there every time the doors were open. She had a key. She'd go practice the piano. She'd drag us down there. Drug problem. She'd make the bulletin. We'd go down there and make bulletins. Okay? She, all the while, they're putting me in a place where I would hear about the love of God through Jesus' son. It is the instrument. And when we let everything in the world rise above the Lord's church, warning you rich people, misery is on the way. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's rusty, it's rotten, it's moth food, and yet we pursue it with no, with no abandon. Now, so here's the thing. You may be sitting here and you say, well, pastor, I hear what you're saying. I've heard it all before, but you don't know my, my deal, man. I make this much money and it costs me this much money, this much money to live. It's expensive raising kids. And I know it's very true. It's expensive living today. A hundred percent true. And so then what people do, they say, well, if I can ever get to that place, you know, if I can ever get to that place where I make that much money, I would give. I've heard people say, well, yeah, if I had a million dollars, I can't imagine how much I would give to the church. You don't have to imagine. You would give about the same as you give on the 20 bucks in your pocket. It's a simple rule of thumb. Here's why. If you have $20, if you make 20 bucks an hour and you struggle giving God $2 out of that 20, if you make $1,000 an hour, you're really going to struggle giving him 100. You see, now, because you're not worried about how much you're keeping. It's not a matter of how much you're keeping. It's a matter of how much you're letting go. And God really doesn't care uh, how much you give. He just cares how much you keep. God just wants you to give to demonstrate to yourself, to your family, to God, and to the enemy world where your priorities are. God wants us to be cheerful givers. Now, you say, well, I don't know that that's true. That's fine. You'd be wrong. In Scripture, Jesus said, Luke 16, 10, he also says it in Matthew 18, he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful with that which is much. You see, as we do with small, Jesus said, so we will do with large. And I, and I want you to know, you don't ever have to give anything. I, that's between you and the Lord. I don't know what anybody makes. I know what anybody gives. I know what we give. And that's, that's it. But if I didn't tell you about stewardship, when it comes up in the Bible, if I didn't encourage you to go before God and ask him about your resources, I would be robbing you of a blessing. I would be a thief. I walk in the blessings of God. And we have, and there's been hard years, hard months, but we walk in the blessings of God. Do we have hard times? You better believe we do. Do we have stuff in our world that we would rather not be in our world? Sure we do. Are we blessed? Yes, we are. And I want you to know the blessings of God in our life are directly connected to what we do with the resources that God channels through our hands. So we gotta repent first of a divided heart. Number two, the word on the back of your life guide is release. We need to release our resources back to God. Release our resources back to God. Listen to what he says. James says this, it is in the last days that you have hoarded treasure. Hoarded treasure. He says you've accumulated 
or built up or hoarded treasures. James is reminding the reader that we get attached to the luxuries and the amenities of the world's material opportunities. So here's what happens. If I'm accustomed to a great lifestyle, and I am, I have a, I have a good lifestyle. I, I do. I love, I love life. I have, I have a great standard of living, you know. So what happens, the greater my standard of living now, the greater my standard of living will need to be when I retire. And so if I really have to have a lot of money to live now, if I'm going to plan well for my future, I've really got to have a lot of money to live well in the future, right? It compounds. You can never outrun it. And, and so, I'm, I'm, and I'm telling you, I have conversations with friends in church about, I'm, I'm battling with this. How much do I need to have in retirement? I, I asked my mom and my mother-in-law. Uh, my, my dad and my father-in-law passed away in the last few years, and, I, and, and they're comfortable, they live good lives, and I'm like, how much do you really need for, for retirement? And, and their answer is, you know, generic. It's like, well, you know, just, you know, enough to get by, you know. But I've learned this much. When you get in your 80s, you don't really care about material possessions near as much as you do when you're 40, all right? And, and so it's not, that, it's not that you go over there and air conditioning's not turned on, it's a sweat box and, you know, and dogs running in and out of the house. I don't mean their standard of living just went, you know, kaput. But what I mean is they don't, they don't look at it the same. And so I'm struggling like how much, because I've told the Lord and I've told you, I want to preach as long as he wants me to preach. If it's 80, I'm in. I know some of y'all think, I hope not. Well, I've already committed, all right? Then maybe I'll be preaching at the nursing home. I don't know. But all I know is I want to do what I'm doing until I'm old. Well, that's good. That means I don't have to put up as much for retirement. But the, there's a missing link in the equation. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know where the end is. So there's, it's hard to figure that out. And so we're supposed to be good stewards, and we're supposed to save, and we're supposed to plan well, and we're supposed to put, have a 401K or some form of retirement to take care of ourselves. But how much? I don't know. But this is what I know. If Jesus returns tomorrow, and I believe in the imminent return of Christ, every prophecy is fulfilled. Nothing is left undone that keeps Jesus from returning for his church in what's called the harpazo, the rapture, the catching away. If he catches me away tomorrow, well, one, I'm excited. That'd be cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. Just come on, let's go. But would I be embarrassed when I get to heaven? And because we have to give an account for ourselves, even though we're saved, we give an account for our life and our words. And then we get rewarded based on it. I don't want to be embarrassed because I have this 401k with thousands of dollars in it. And meanwhile, there were people left here because they never heard the message. It's, it's a tight wire. I, I hadn't figured it out. I'm, I'm not saying I got it all figured out. I'm saying I'm wrestling with it. Uh, you know, I want to leave my children an inheritance and my grandchildren an inheritance. I want my wife to be comfortable if I go home before she does. I don't want to be worth more dead than I am alive. That's a bad incentive. Go to sleep and never wake up. I mean, you know. But I want to take care of her. We're supposed to be the Bible says we're supposed to be that way. But finding out where that is is a difficult thing. And I'm wrestling with it as we speak. You see, James says you're hoarding it up. We don't like we know, we know We now know what hoarders are because there's a whole TV show about hoarders, right? And when we think about magazines or newspapers in the halls and in the, against the walls and floor to ceiling, we say, oh, that's terrible. 
Or when we think about Christmas decorations, filling up a house, you can't even walk through it, you say, oh, it's terrible. James says it's the same with your money. It may not be in the hallway, but you're hoarding stuff and possessions. Have you noticed how many storage buildings we're building? We buy stuff and pay somebody to keep our stuff at a distance. We've lost our minds. We have lost our minds. Now, don't get me wrong. You may own storage buildings. <laughs> you, you picked a good one there. They're going to stay full because we're still buying stuff. And everybody's not going to listen to the word of God. Everybody's still going to hoard stuff. So it's a, it's a good thing for the future. All right? But, the, but hoarding is, 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 we don't look at hoarding favorably. We think, well, that's a terrible thing. And yet James says that's what we do with our resources. So what we do, I, th- th- this point is to, is to release our resources back into the hands of God. Sometimes we, we sock away this huge 401k, this, these masses of assets and money. And then one day we have a will. And in the will, we're giving away what God put in our hands. And often we're putting those things in the hands of ungodly people so it can be used for ungodly things. Now this is harsh, but I'm going to tell you. If you have children and they're living ungodly, you need to change your will. Leave them something just to let them know you thought about them and you love them. But don't give what God gave you into the hands of ungodly people so it can be used for ungodly things. Amen? It's the truth. It's, it's the truth. And you say, well, I don't really want to do that because if I do, Jimmy Jr. is going to be mad at me for the rest of his life. Jimmy Jr. is going to be here. You're going to be there. It don't matter what Jimmy thinks. If you're in heaven. Now that sounds harsh. I'm I'm going on record. I have two daughters, Kelsey and Caitlin. And they are trying to live for the Lord. They make mistakes like the rest of us. If they start living for the devil, I'm changing my will. I may give one of them all of it. Just to let them know I thought about it. God is not against savings, retirement, assets, wealth, God is concerned about our attitude toward creation rather than the creator. Luke 12, 34 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, our heart follows our treasure. We raised, as I mentioned, two girls. They're expensive. Girls are expensive. I know boys are. They get nothing on girls. They're expensive. But you know what? Whatever they needed, we managed to provide what they needed because they had our heart. And our treasure followed our heart. Today, some of the most faithful people to the Lord's church are people who are good stewards and who give to the church. You know why? Because they're faithful to that which has their heart. And their heart is where their money is. So when people give to the church and they get stewardship, man, they're in. They're a part of it because that's where their heart is, because that's where their money is. Now, biblical stewardship is something that's taught throughout God's word. And it's just like praying, studying your Bible, sharing the gospel with other people. They're all disciplines, supposed to be disciplines of the Christian life. But often, none of those things are. And so I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an inspector of discipline. 
I just am a preacher of the word of God. And stewardship is taught throughout God's word. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich in the world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches because they're uncertain, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. And so we need to, we need to take what God has given us and we need to put it back in circulation and we need to be good stewards and we need to keep some in savings had a, a friend of mine, uh, I don't care to tell you who it is. It's your dad, Dwight, Jerry. He was at our house on Christmas several years ago. I've shared this before. And, uh, and everybody always kidded Jerry about having money. If you needed money, go see Jerry. He's, you know, so one day, Jerry just told everybody in there. He goes, let me tell you something. All of y'all can have some money. He said, there's some simple rules to having money. He said, you got to make some money. You know what he meant? You got to work get a job. He says, you got to make some money. And once you make some money, you, you need to spend some money because it costs money to live, spend some money. And then he said, you also need to save some money. That plans for days when you aren't making money. And he said, but the most important thing is you need to give some money. He said, if you make money, save money, spend money and give money, guess what? You'll always have some money. Rocket science. You know, if we just did that, that's the biblical model. God is good with that. Uh, we just need to take God's money and be good stewards. He doesn't give it to us to white knuckle. He gives it to us to be channels of blessing. So it flows through our hands. And as long as we're holding on with white knuckle, he can't send another blessing because our hands are full with yesterday's blessings. Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes, said this about our giving and inheritance. He says, we need to do our giving while we're living that way we are knowing where it's going. It's good country theology right there. Now, so rather than that, we want to make bigger barns. And we've all heard the story of the parable where a man has a, a great year, abundance of crop. And he's like, wow, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll eat, drink, and be happy. Life is good. I won't be in need of anything. And God comes to him that night and says, this very night, your soul is required of you. He died. We got to be careful. One day we answer for everything we have and everything that God has placed into our life. So find out what, what we need to live and give the rest away. That's our goal. Find out what we need to live both now and in the future and give the rest away. Let God use what he's given you to enlarge his kingdom and to reduce the dimensions of hell isn't that cool isn't that cool that's what he gives it for to enlarge heaven and to decrease the boundaries and the dimensions of hell itself my question is one day when I stand before God would I be embarrassed with how I've used his resources yes some days, I've done okay. We've done okay. Some days, not so much. Would I be embarrassed when he says, wow, you've got that money there, and look, yet there's still all those lost folks. Would I be embarrassed? I don't know. I'm trying to wrestle that one down. At the end of the day, life, you ready, is naked to naked. Job said, 
I came here from my mother's womb naked. I'll leave this world naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is so cool. Showed up naked, leaving here naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, that's just about simple, isn't it? Now, what happens in the middle of that is up to us. How God wants to use us for his kingdom. 1 Samuel 2 says, the Lord makes poor and rich and he brings low and he also exalts. exalts. And so we've got to learn to repent of a divided heart, release our resources back to God. Thirdly and finally, the shortest point, realize is the word, to realize our ungodly practices. He says in verse 4 through 6, he says, look, the pay you've held back from the workers who mowed your fields cries out against you. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the lords of heaven's armies. You've lived indulgently, luxuriously on the earth. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, although he does not resist you. Now, right now you're saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. I may be the rich guy. I may be the fat cat, but I'm not, I don't have employees. I haven't robbed any, anybody. You know who works for you that you pay on a regular basis? People who wait on your table at the restaurant. You know, Christians should be the biggest givers, the biggest tippers on the planet. And yet you talk to somebody who works on Sundays and they say the worst tip day is Sunday. They show up, they eat their meal, and they just walk out. We need to be good tippers. That's what he's talking about. How you treat people. He's talking about how we treat other people with the resources that God has given to us. And then he goes on, he says, you fattened your hearts for slaughter. There's a man in our church I buy beef from. I buy a cow, put it in the freezer. So he takes that cow and he puts him in a stall in the barn and he feeds him grain. And you know that cow the whole time's thinking, he's looking out there at those other cows. He says, "Mm -mm -mm, what a life. You're out there eating nubs off the ground, sticks and grass battling each other trying to get to something meanwhile I'm living large I got a guy who shows up every morning with a bucket of corn I don't even have to put my head down to the ground it's right there in a trough I barely bend over fresh water fresh grain every day he's thinking man I'm living large I am living the dream other cows how's it going in there living the dream he ain't living the dream he's being fattened so we can take him to the butcher shop and chop him up and bring him over to my house and eat him. <laughs> it's, what, it's the truth. I know you didn't want to hear that. I'm not a vegetarian, I'm sorry. He don't even know it. He's getting fattened up for slaughter. And James uses that as an analogy for us and our resources and our wealth. And he says, be careful when your attitude of gratitude leaves when you focus on the created order rather than the creator of all things, be careful. You might just be fattening yourself up for slaughter. I am so excited about the Lord's church. Man, I believe we're living in the latter days. I believe Jesus is going to bust the sky open, throw on the brakes, and take us out of here. I believe we're going to go back to heaven for seven years while hell breaks loose on this earth called the Great Tribulation. 
I believe Jesus is going to return to this earth with his angels and us as saints to take over this world and to rule and reign for a thousand years of peace like it was pre-sin in the garden. I look forward to that. But you know what? I look forward to being a part of it right now, planning for that great day. And one way I do it is I preach. The other way I do it, I serve in the local church. But another way I do it is I give of the resources that God has given me so the kingdom expands. I believe that's the challenge that James was speaking 2,000 years ago. It was the same truth as it is today that we all struggle with doing what God desires with our resources. Would you bow your head this morning? Close your eyes. The three steps to passing the money test, revival of a divided heart, release of God's resources back into the kingdom, and realize how we've mishandled his gift. It's my prayer today that you don't hear anything harsh from the preacher because this isn't between me and you. This is between you and God. And I have to answer for mine, and that's between me and God. But I want you to know today that maybe this discipline sounds foreign and heavy and difficult to you. And it may be because you simply haven't learned to fully trust God. Trusting God doesn't begin with your money. It's a product of trust that already exists. Beginning to trust God begins when we trust Him with our eternal destiny. When we trust Him that He would choose to love us enough to die in our place. It begins when we, when we realize, like my grandson said, that Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross for our sin. And we simply ask Him into our heart, receive His grace gift, and give our life to Him. When we... If we can trust God with our eternal soul, we sure can trust Him with our finances. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this hard message from James. We thank you that, God, you don't mess around. You just tell the truth. and We can choose to live by it or not. You still love us. It's amazing. But God, also, on this day, there may be some who don't know you in a real and personal way. They may know about you. They simply don't know you. Jesus told us that there's only one way we can know you, and that's Jesus, your son. And so, God, on this day, there may be some that feel the conviction of their heart, that they're distant from you, God, and that on this day, they would be willing to simply say, God, I know about you, but I want to know you. I want to give myself to you. I repent of my sin. I turn from my wicked ways. I want Jesus to forgive all of my sins, past, present, and future. I want your spirit to come into my life to help me from this day forward to live for you. Thank you for choosing to love somebody like me enough to die in my place. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. I thank you for these that have gathered. God, I pray your blessings upon these families, their little boys and girls, and and God, their lives. I pray, God, that you'll just continue to reveal yourself to each one of them in a powerful way. God, I thank you for sending uh, people to our church. We just give you the glory and the praise for all that. 
We thank you for an amazing week. I thank you for allowing me the honor and privilege to baptize Judson and for his sweet little journey that he's on with you. I thank you for our Vacation Bible School success this week, for those boys and girls who, who are pursuing you. I thank you for all the help that came. God, I thank you for overturning Roe versus Wade. I thank you, God, that babies now can have an opportunity to choose life for themselves. And it is on this day, I thank you, God, that Jesus has offered us life for all of eternity. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.